Well, hey, my name's Taylor Long, um, and I get the opportunity uh, to continue the ongoing conversation that we've been having throughout the summer. Uh, we've called this conversation Word to the Wise, as we've asked ourselves, what does it mean to, to walk in, to live with, live with wisdom? And the definition, uh, I guess the ongoing definition that we've been using throughout the summer for, de- uh, for wisdom is... It's the art of making life's best choices in the moment. Uh, this has been the definition that Pastor Kondo, Pastor Jeff have been using. I love this definition. I love the, the emphasis that it's not on your IQ. It's not on a degree from whatever prestigious school it might be from. It's, it has everything to do with being dealt a, a scenario, a situation, and dealing with it rightly, uh, dealing with it uh, in wisdom, and we've been using the book of Proverbs to kind of guide us through because the Proverbs being the book of wisdom written by Solomon, who is widely renowned for his own wisdom, it's packed full of the art of making life's best choices. So today we're jumping right back into the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out and, and meet me in Proverbs uh, 29. Proverbs 29, it's towards the, the end of the book of Proverbs. Towards the end, uh, there's 31 books, or books, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs uh, that Pastor Gil had, uh, or Pastor Jeff had mentioned. I remember Pastor Jeff as Dr. Gil, so I always get that mixed up. Um, but Pastor Jeff had mentioned earlier, one day a month uh, is, is wonderful to walk through the book of Proverbs. But we're going to be in Proverbs 29, verse 25. Proverbs 29, verse 25. If you don't have your Bibles don't, don't worry, the verses will be up on the screen. You can follow along that way as well. And, and I'm reading from the CSB this morning in case there's Bible translation people out there. So here we go. Chapter 29, verse 25. The fear of mankind is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. The fear of mankind is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is is protected. So Solomon starts off this proverb aiming at this thing he has called the fear of mankind. Fear of mankind, maybe the fear of man in your translation, uh, it's all the, the same thing. But this fear is a little bit different than kind of the awestruck fear that you might see elsewhere in the Old Testament. This fear is actually describing trembling and terror that leads to panic. There's an anxiousness to this sort of fear, right? This trembling, terror, anxiousness leads to full-on panic. And it stems from, and it comes from mankind, other people, others. That's where it comes from. Could be individuals, could be a group of people, but this fear of mankind is looking at other people and being anxious to the point of, of panic. And I think this can take two different routes Uh, One more common than the other. I think Solomon is aiming at specifically one over the other, but this fear of mankind can take two different routes. The first route that I think it can take is is when we fear what others might do to us. You fear what others might do to you. This would be like the physical side. You fear the physical harm, the physical suffering, the physical loss that that someone might enact on you or they might might, uh, push onto you. You look at a group of people or, or somebody specifically 
and you wonder what they're going to do. And it causes you fear. It causes you to panic. And while that's more common than I think we, we would like to admit and realize, I don't know that that's the most common route of, fear, of the fear of mankind. I think the other route is when we fear what others might think about us. They might say about us, how they might feel about us. We get anxious and nervous when we think, um, what, what will they think of me? Sometimes we might call this people-pleasing. Other times we refer to it as seeking to gain someone's approval or just wanting to be liked. But it stems from, and it starts from, thinking about mankind. What are they going to think? It causes anxiety leads into panic. And it could come from past experiences. Maybe it's pride where you just want to be viewed and held at a higher esteem than other people. But it's dwelling on their thoughts, their thoughts about me. And you might be thinking to yourself already, like, okay, aren't we supposed to do that? Aren't we supposed to take other people's thoughts into consideration? You might be thinking even, uh, Taylor, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says, i Try to please everyone in everything that I do. If that's not people pleasing, then I don't know what is. And yes, Paul does say that. And we are supposed to consider other people's thoughts. But the fear of mankind isn't just simply considering other people's thoughts or what they might think or what they might do. The fear of mankind is when this fear, this panic becomes excessive. This dwelling on Others' thoughts becomes excessive to the point where it takes control. It starts to dictate and manipulate our actions, our feelings, our emotions. And it begins to put pressure on us to begin to compromise. Compromise on things that we have held so tightly to. This pressure to compromise might look different for everyone in all the different circumstances that we might be in. We're all in different circles, in different settings, could look different, but we know that the overwhelmingly, the overwhelming truth is that when we concern ourselves more with what others think over what God thinks, we find ourselves in trouble. When we concern ourselves more with other people's approval over God's approval, we find ourselves in trouble, which is why I think Solomon refers to it as a snare. He refers to it as a snare. The fear of mankind is a snare. And now I'm not a hunter by any stretch of the imagination. So that the skill level there is not necessarily a talent I possess, but I can at least give you the definition. A snare is a a tool, a hunting tool intended to trap an animal and ultimately intend harm on that animal. It's designed to trap and intend harm. And the fear of mankind does that. It traps us. The fear of mankind, it's a trap. And I know my Star Wars fans out there just, Picture of Admiral Akbar just popped in your mind. But it's a trap. It binds us. It enslaves us. It keeps us in the same area where we have no distance to go. We just continue moving in circles. See, we we want that acceptance. We want the approval of others. But in order to do that, to, to please man, we continually have to meet their standards, their goals. And if we know anything about us as people, we are ever-changing, are we not? Which means the new standards and new goals shift. Now we've got one standard here, and and then the goalpost seems to move, right? 
post this, retweet this person, post it in, in this way, talk to this person. It all moves in a circle. It's all moving. And ultimately it's all trying to prove who we are or prove something that we possess or have in order to to make people like us and gain the nod of approval. And we find ourselves quickly becoming chameleons, shifting and adjusting to our settings and our surroundings, acting in a way to be liked by the people that surround us. Could be with our friends over the weekend, laughing, joking, gossiping, enjoying that only to turn around and then you're at work now and now it's a different shift and, and there's different words being used and the aims and the goals are, are now different with these people. And then you go to your missional community group and there's a completely different shift there because now I've got to think, okay, how do I impress these people? How do I make them think that I've got it all together, that I've, you know, I went to Awanas, I know the Bible, right? How do we prove that? And we dwell on that. And what's sad about that specific situation is, is how often do we miss what the Lord is trying to teach us because we're more concerned about pleasing the people around us in our group, having the perfect prayer ready to go, having, having the perfect point for your Bible study ready to go. And we miss what the Lord teaches us. And can we just be honest with ourselves? That's tiring. That's exhausting. That's laborious to use a, you know, I'm trying to impress you guys. I'm an elementary school teacher. I know a big word, laborious. Um, But it's exhausting to do that, to constantly step into a setting, a situation, read the room and try and act accordingly. And it brings about insecurities, self-consciousness. And through that, we're snared. And as we're we're snared, we, we sin and we blame others for our sin because, well, in order to, gain the approval of other people. We, we don't want to admit faults. And then we bring other people in on our sin. I think of Abraham and the book of Genesis as him and his wife, Sarah are, are getting ready to step into Egypt. And he looks at his wife, Sarah and says, Hey, when we get in there, you're my sister. That's what we're going to tell people. So not only does Abraham lie, but he brings in Sarah on the lie. Why? Because he feared the Egyptians. He feared them. He didn't know what they were going to do. It caused him to panic. And he brings others in on his sin and sins himself. But like an animal caught in a snare or a trap, can't, can't function the way it was designed to, can't fulfill the role that it was given, a snare, the snare of, fear, the, snare of the fear of mankind does the same for us. It hinders us. It hinders us and keeps us back from doing what the Lord has called us to do. I love how Charles Spurgeon refers to this as as hampering the usefulness of the believer. The fear of mankind hampers the usefulness of the believer. We dwell on and we ask ourselves the question, what might they think of me? Will they approve of me? Will they like me? But when we ask that question, we stop and we fail to ask the question, what should I do? What should I do? How should I walk? And this thought of what will they think of me? Will they, will they like me? Will they approve of me? Will they be pleased? Can paralyze us and prevent so many good habits from being put into place. Think of um, the prayers that, that might be prayed 
for people, over people in our own homes if we weren't so worried about what others would think. Whether, uh, is this prayer going to impress them? I don't think so, so I'm gonna back away. I'm not even gonna pray this. Is this prayer going to be the right kind of prayer? Ah, I'm not going to. They're not gonna be impressed. They're not gonna approve. They're gonna feel uncomfortable with me, so I'm, I'm gonna hold back. Or maybe the words of encouragement that could be spoken if we didn't worry about, man, I, I don't have that verse exactly memorized, so maybe, maybe they, they're gonna think that I don't read my Bible and I don't, can't memorize my scriptures and all right, I'm just not gonna say anything. It holds us back from doing things that the Lord has called us to do because when we worry about other people's approval, we place our agenda, our needs, our wants, the ways that we wanna be seen above the Lord's agenda above what the Lord desires for us. And it leads us to go halfway. A lot of times we go, we go halfway when the fear of mankind hinders us. You know, halfway in word. I'm gonna speak a half truth here because you know, I can't lie, but if I'm also fully honest, that's gonna step on some toes. So, all right, I guess I'll go halfway. Or, in, or indeed, when, when you know, the Lord calls me to obey, all right, I'm gonna obey halfway because that's respectable, you know, trying to keep my convictions. But if I obey fully, now I look crazy. People aren't gonna approve of that. They're, they're not gonna like that. So we go halfway a lot of times. And, and we also then turn to neglect roles and responsibilities that have been given to us roles and responsibilities that have been given to us get neglected. Me, I'm a teacher. I coach basketball as well. If I am worried about my player's approval, if I'm worried about them liking me, a lot of times I will neglect to coach them. I'll stop teaching them and correcting them and telling them, okay, this is how we need to pivot and this is how we need to rotate. I'll just let them do it on their own neglecting my job as their coach. That's the role I've been given. As a parent, as a parent, you, you've been given the role to train up your child and, and, and discipline and train and teach. But if I, if I don't wanna come across as a, as a meanie parent, I heard that on Bluey the other day, um, as, a, as a meanie parent, if I don't wanna come across that way, I want my kid to like me, I start to lax and I neglect the role of parenting and teaching and training that the Lord has given me. Could be in any area of life, boss, employee. Um, when you fear mankind, you start to neglect the roles that people have given you, that the Lord has given you. It hinders us. And it can ultimately hold us back to the point where we reject the Lord. We reject him. We see it in uh, John 12. John 12, I think it's 42 says this, um, nevertheless, many, even among the authorities, believed in him, Jesus, but refused to confess for fear of the Pharisees. Their, their fear of the Pharisees and the Pharisees sit, uh, sending them out of the synagogue and, and them losing the approval of the Pharisees led them to reject Jesus. They didn't confess who they believed that he was. And there's a lot of different areas in scripture that we see this, but I think one area that we see it is in the life of King Saul, Israel's first king. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to uh, 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. And just um, as you're getting there, a moment of vulnerability, 
I wrestled with the fear of mankind even in choosing this text to walk through. Because uh, there's some, it, there's not issues, but questions that rise up when we read 1 Samuel 15 a lot of times. Um, and for time's sake, we're not going to unpack all of those possible questions, but we're gonna focus on Saul and his fear of mankind. So in 1 Samuel 15, or first, yeah, 1 Samuel 15, the Lord sends Samuel to Saul to give him a message. In verse two, this is what it says. This is what the Lord of armies says. I witnessed what the Amalekites did to the Israelites when they opposed them along the way as they were coming out of Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and destroy and completely destroy everything they have. Do not spare them. Kill men and women, infants and nursing babies, oxen and sheep and camels and donkeys. So that's the command that he was given. Saul, completely destroy everything. So Saul summons his troops, gets them all together. We see what happens in verse nine. Verse nine, Saul and the troops spared Agag and the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle and choice animals as well. As the young rams and the best of everything. They were not willing to destroy them, but they did destroy all the worthless and unwanted things. So Samuel goes to Saul, tells him, hey, completely destroy everything. Um, and Saul destroys most things. He goes halfway. All right, I'm gonna do most of what the Lord said, but I'm not gonna go completely through with this. I'm gonna go halfway, close, but not fully obedient. And it's funny because he's like convinced himself that he did, all right? He's convinced himself that he did carry out the Lord's words. If we look down in verse 13, Samuel comes to him. When Samuel came to him, Saul said, may the Lord bless you. I've carried out the instructions of the Lord. And I love Samuel's response. (laughs) Samuel replied, then what is the sound of sheep, goats, and cattle I hear? He looks at Saul, he's like, well, then why do I hear mooing? What is that? I, I hear sheep. If you've carried out the instructions of the Lord, like, why do I hear that? And Saul explains it this way. He goes, the troops, verse 15, Saul answered, the troops brought them from the Amalekites. He blames others. Hey, it's their fault. It was their idea and spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we destroyed. He says, "Um, the troops brought them. And actually, Samuel, they had a really good idea. We're gonna use them for a sacrifice. This is a a better idea than what the Lord had. Saul neglects his role as king. He blames others, but he was given the word of the Lord. And he's the leader. He should be making these plans, right? Not the troops. It shouldn't be the troops' decision. It's Saul's, it's Saul's. And Samuel comes back to him and, and ultimately shares the, the wonderful verse that we, that we look to often in verse 22. He says, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. And the question is why? Why is Saul neglecting his role as king? Why is he obeying only partly? Why is he pointing to the troops instead of owning his own sin? And he tells us why in verse 24. 
says, Saul answered Samuel, I have sinned, I have transgressed because of the Lord's command and your words. I have transgressed the Lord's commands and your words because I was afraid of the people, I obeyed them. He feared the people, he feared the troops, he feared those around him and his obedience followed his fear. His obedience followed his fear. He feared them, all right, I'm gonna walk in the way that they want me to walk. And we see it in other areas. Pontius Pilate, if you look in the New Testament, Pontius Pilate, looking at an innocent Jesus, his wife even tells him, look, have nothing to do with this man. I've had some dreams, this is not good. But as the scripture says, to satisfy the crowds, to satisfy the crowds, to keep the crowd happy, Pilate handed over to them Barabbas and after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. Pilate was gripped by the fear of mankind. And, and you might even, you're probably thinking right now, like, okay, those are the bad guys, Taylor. Those are the villains in scripture. Of course, they're gonna struggle with the fear of mankind. But let's talk about Aaron for a second, right? Aaron, the priest in Exodus, who Moses leaves and goes to be on the mountain and speak with the Lord. Aaron is left with the Israelites. The Israelites start to get anxious. They start to get nervous. They start to get panicky. Um, They're getting restless. And what does Aaron do? All right, well, in order to keep them happy, I'm gonna collect your gold. Give me all your gold. I'm gonna build a calf and let's worship to, to satisfy the crowds, to keep them happy because he feared the Israelites. Or we could talk about Peter. Talk about Peter, uh, not just a disciple of Jesus, but part of the inner circle, author of two New Testament letters. He had all sorts of issues with the fear of man. Denying Jesus three times in the courtyard. I don't know him. I don't know him. And then he begins to curse to make himself sound differently so that they don't um, equate him with being on Jesus' side for fear of what they might do to him. And then later on, Later on, uh, Paul tells us in Galatians about this issue that that Peter had as uh, these Judaizers, these people that came holding tightly to Jewish customs, they show up and Peter neglects to spend time and eat with the Gentiles to please them. He's worried about their approval. He wants the Judaizers to approve of him. And this is even after the Lord had told him, don't call unclean what I've made clean in reference to the Gentiles. Don't call unclean what I have made clean. And ultimately, Peter gives an inaccurate picture of the Lord. He shows these Judaizers that, yeah, there's still a separation here. They're still unclean. Why? Because he wanted them to approve of him. He was seeking their approval, not the Lord's. And this fear of mankind might hinder us, might trap us in different ways in our in our many different circumstances. And, and a lot of times it won't even be the big scenarios that we run to, whether that's the martyrdom situations that we, that we run to and, and think of, well, in this situation, I'll be good. But a lot of times it shows up in smaller scenarios in stumbling blocks per se, but, but whether big or small, these snares put us in harm's way. That's the intent of a snare is to inflict harm. These snares, the fear of mankind, endangers us, endangers us. And I think there's some really practical wisdom that we can find in this proverb. Really practical wisdom that we can find in this proverb. Um, It endangers us, 
puts us in harm's way, brings us trouble. Let's just talk about really quick, maybe your ability to deal with conflict or inability to, to deal with conflict. Right? Like you're, you've got some conflict, you know this needs to be addressed, but you also know if we sit down and have this conversation, they might not feel too good about me. They might not like me for a season of time. So I'm just gonna delay. No, let's not have this conversation. Maybe it'll go away. But oftentimes we find that when we neglect to have these conversations and deal with the, this conflict, it grows. And now all of a sudden we have a really, really, really difficult conversation we have to have. Your fear of approval leads to not just a tough conversation, but an extremely tough conversation. Maybe it's, maybe it's your inability to say no. Whether it's your parents, children, colleagues, friends, you can't say no to somebody because, well, if you say no, you disappoint them. If you disappoint them, they're not gonna like you. They're not gonna approve of you. You're not pleasing them. You find yourself tired, overwhelmed, and physically, emotionally, mentally, you're in a tough spot. You're in a tough spot. There's trouble there. But it not only endangers us in these smaller scenarios, but in an ultimate sense as well, because people's approval seems right. Like it seems like something we should be seeking and trying to attain. But we see in Proverbs 14, there is a way that seems right to man, but its way leads to death. Its way leads to death. See, when we concern ourselves more with what others think, with others' approval over what God thinks and his approval, we find ourselves in trouble. And call it ironic, call it humorous. Uh, I think what we really seek for when we obsess over and, and try to gain people's approval, I think we're actually seeking safety. I think we're actually seeking comfort, but we're looking for it in the opinions and thoughts of man. That's what we really want. It's that enticing. It's something good is laid out in front of us. But when we seek it in the opinions of man, the opposite is true. We seek safety, but we find danger and we find harm. But this proverb shows us that there is a way to find this protection. There is a way to find this safety. It says in the last half of, of Proverbs 29, 25, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Maybe your version says safe, maybe exalted. It means just that, kept high, kept safe away from harm. There is a way to find this safety and it's entrusting in the Lord. So we, so we transfer our fear. Transfer your fear from mankind, transfer it and place it on the Lord, right? And there's a connection between what we trust and what we fear, Right? You fear mankind, you're trusting them for, for some safety. Right? If we fear the Lord, we trust in the Lord. That's how we defeat the fear of mankind, which means taking the Lord at his word. Right? When we transfer our fear from man to the Lord, we start to take him at his word. We believe who he says that he is. We believe who he has proclaimed himself to be. The things that he's done, the things that he's promised to do, when we take him at his word and believe that, we trust in him, which means when he says he's a merciful and gracious God, we see this in Exodus, right? The Lord, the Lord, uh, merciful and gracious, 
abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, right? That's who he is. But we also see in that very same word that he's just, he will not let the guilty go unpunished. Believe that that is who he is. Rest and have confidence in that. He's all wise, all knowing, all powerful. All men are subject to him, even the great nations, the ones that we might fear, the ones that we want their approval from, they're subject to him, right? Job 12, he makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. They're all subject to him. And when we begin to take God at his word, believe who he says that he is, our fear of mankind dwindles. It diminishes behind the awesome and powerful God of the scriptures. I love how Isaiah, uh, the Lord says it in Isaiah. He says, uh, I, I am the one who comforts you. Who are you that you should fear humans who die or a son of man who is given up like grass? I'm the one who comforts you. And I'm, I'm eternal, I'm lasting. Not them, not man, who's gonna be given up like grass, who's, who's not eternal. I am the one who comforts you. And I think uh, where Saul shows us how this goes wrong, I think we get a good picture of what it looks like when it goes right in Daniel 3. So if you wanna, if you wanna follow me there, go ahead. We're, I'll start in Daniel 3, verse 16 um, and kind of catch you up. But in Daniel 3, we get an account that maybe if you've grown up in the church, you've heard this uh, story before. It's one of the stories that I wish I could go back and read for the first time um, about three Jewish guys who, who had been brought out of exile and into Babylon and their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were brought to Babylon to serve the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, being powerful and having money, builds this golden statue and has everybody bow down to it and worship it because it's in his honor. Um, and you have to do that when the music plays. And if you don't, you find the fiery furnace. And it works. They play the music. Everyone bows except these three guys. So they get turned in. And Nebuchadnezzar asks them, why is this true? And then he doesn't give them time to answer and says, all right, you got one more chance. Let's crank this music up. Let's see what these guys do. In verse 16, we see their answer. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. They look at Nebuchadnezzar and say, we don't need to, you know, we don't need to answer this question, which really means like, we don't need to debate. We don't need to discuss. There's no time that we need to think. The answer is no, hard pass. Hard pass, Nebuchadnezzar, because guess what? We're not really concerned about pleasing you. We don't really care what you think. But, but we have a God who can save us from this fire and we trust him and we believe him and we're more concerned with pleasing him than you. And you might think to yourself, Taylor, you've been saying that concerning yourselves with what others think and their approval leads to trouble, but a fiery furnace seems like trouble to me. And, and you're right, fiery furnace would be trouble and this is a good spot, I think, to remind us that Proverbs, remember, are not promises. Proverbs are not, not promises. That means um, it's not a guarantee 100% of the time. It's gonna give you the best odds. It's a prediction. Um, and even these three men understood that, right? 
Verse 18, but even if he does not rescue us, they understood that, that there's no guarantee of physical safety. They still get thrown into the fire. They're tied up. But we see what happens when, when we trust in the Lord, when we, when we fear the Lord, um, we're not brought out of adversity a lot of times, but we're strengthened in the midst of it. They're tossed into the fire. And then King Nebuchadnezzar notices something, verse 24. The, then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and doesn't see three. He sees four. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were strengthened in the midst because they were not left alone. They were protected and their protection was not, brought, was not them being brought out of their situation, but them being backed and protected through the presence of their savior. That was their protection. And they come out unharmed. They're they're no longer bound. They're freed, but unharmed. That's what happens. They they were not left alone in their difficulty. So so wisdom is this. It's, It's first and foremost seeking to please God. Please God primarily. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. That's what it looks like when we trust him. We seek to please God primarily. And when we, when we place the pleasing man and the approval of man first, pleasing man and pleasing God become oil and water. They just don't mix. But what's wild is, is when we seek to please God first, pleasing the people around us seems to follow. If you were to look all the way at the end of the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the king rewarded them. The king, he rewarded them. So when we seek to please God and seek his approval over others, we start to please those around us. Like track with me. Um, The more I seek to please God, the better husband I become. The better husband I become. I love my wife way better when, when I'm pleasing the Lord. The better father I become the better employee, the better teacher I become. When I seek to please the Lord, there's a depth now to what I'm doing that that wouldn't be there if I was seeking to just please man. So the more you seek to please the Lord, the more you start to please the people around you. And as we seek to please God primarily, seek to please him first, we need to see Jesus. We need to trust wholly upon Jesus, not partly, not mostly, but wholly upon Jesus. Jesus gives us the example, the perfect example. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, great example. Jesus, the perfect example. We see it in Jesus' baptism. He's baptized, the spirit, uh, uh, the heavens open up, the spirit descends like a dove, and the father from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus pleased the father perfectly. And he also casted aside the opinions of man, so much so that even his enemies admitted that. Mark 12, the, the enemies, the people that were trying to catch him, um, catch him in his words and, and snare him said, we know you are truthful and do not care what anyone thinks. Even his enemies saw it. This guy doesn't care. He's telling the truth. So Jesus accomplished perfectly what we so often fail to do. What we so often fail to do. 
to cast aside the fear of man and seek only to please the Lord. But because of his perfect life and and then the fact that he goes to the cross, the sinner's death, dying the death that, that you and I deserved through repentance and faith in him, God no longer sees my failures. He no longer sees my fears. The times that I've given the approval of man, the nod over him, he doesn't see that, but he sees Jesus's triumph. He sees Jesus's triumph. I mean, that's the awesome thing about the gospel is when, when we repent, the moment we repent, the moment we believe in Jesus and trust him wholly, God can now say over us, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And you might be thinking to yourself like, great, that's the gospel, yes and amen. But Taylor, how does that help me with my fear of mankind? How does that help me with, with trying to gain others' approval and wanting them to like me? And this is kind of where we'll start to, I'll kind of wrap up. Um, this is how I think it works. I think when we, when we properly prioritize pleasing God, we seek to please God first. And then we believe the truth of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. We start to realize that the only lasting, meaningful and true approval that we need, we have. The only true lasting and meaningful approval that we need, we have. For the one who trusts in the Lord, we have that true and meaningful approval securely in Jesus. Securely in Jesus. Which means the question shifts from, shifts from how does this help me to why? The question becomes why? Why concern yourself so much with what others think of you? Why concern yourself so much with the approval of others when you already know what God thinks of you. In Christ, you are his child with whom he is well pleased. Dwell on and rest in that truth. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, thank you for today. Um, Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the truth that is contained in your word. Help us, Lord, to lean on it and seek to please you first and foremost. It's in your son's precious name. I pray these things, amen.